0: I think the stage is yours. We are full of anticipation. Thank you very much, Mariana. What uh, I wanna do this morning is uh, do some, uh, some study together of uh, a couple of texts uh, from uh, the Psalms and uh, and then this afternoon, uh, I'll be doing something quite a bit different and more uh, sharing reflections on what's going on these days uh, around us uh, as a, uh, a beginning of a conversation uh, of, of, of what general reflection on those things. So uh, this morning, though, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of uh, biblical texts. And uh, uh, the, the first text I wanna look at is uh, Psalm 24. And uh, this was uh, a Psalm that was read uh, when we were together uh, in Hamburg, uh at, uh, I don't know, it might've been actually at the very beginning of our time. And uh, ever since that time, uh, it has been very much on my mind uh, and in my heart. I've been uh, meditating on it for, for probably more than a year, uh, and uh, I think it's it's very rich and important for us. I think one of what immediately struck me about it when I when it was read in relation to Hanukkah is, uh, of course, it's it's a text that speaks about the coming of the King of Glory. Uh, and and so, uh, I certainly will uh, want to focus on that in uh, in my discussion of the text itself. Uh, but when I want to go verse by verse through it, and uh, first, just a kind of examination of the text itself, and then um, I will offer some uh, some interpretation and application. Uh, and then, uh, we'll look at another psalm a little more briefly that is uh, dealing with something uh, very similar, I think, to Psalm 24. So, Psalm 24. Uh, this is also a text, as is the other, uh, that deals with uh, with the temple. Uh, and at our last time together, Amy was pressing me to teach about the temple. Uh, And I have this long chapter on the temple uh, in uh, my book, Jerusalem Crucified. And I'm not going to give a lengthy teaching about the temple here, but uh, everything we're talking about will be related in some way to the temple. And I think that's also uh, relevant to this uh, season, of course, in the Jewish calendar with uh, with Hanukkah approaching in just uh, a couple of days. And uh, Hanukkah of course, means dedication. And it's about the the, dedi- the rededication of uh, the temple after it it, it had been uh, defiled in the, the time of the Maccabees. So, Psalm twenty-four. Uh, the uh, the superscription, the heading, is a Psalm of David, Le David Nizmor. Uh, and uh, I will uh, come to, back to that a little bit later. Uh, and uh, I think it's something that uh, is always worth uh, keeping in mind is uh, the connections in some ways to David. But to, to David, not just as a historical figure, but as the, uh, the founder of the uh, Davidic monarchy um, that ultimately reaches its uh, completion in Yeshua. The earth is the is Adonai's, is Hashem's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So the uh, the first part of this psalm simply gets us to focus on the world, the created order as a whole. And it speaks about about God's establishment of of the earth upon the seas and upon the rivers, uh, which, uh, you know, this is uh, biblical cosmology, you know, the the biblical perspective um, on the creation, which is similar to what we see in Genesis chapter one uh, and the waters here. Really represent the uh, the forces of the potential disturbance and and chaos. That's what waters always symbolize in in Tanakh, but also in the in the, the New Testament. Uh, you know, in in Daniel seven, uh, the four beasts come out of the. The seas—they come out, and and the seas are, have a sense of a potential threat. So that from the creation, from the very beginning, there's a, there's always a sense of a potential disruption in in the midst of the world. And yet, God establishes the earth on the waters, and this notion of establishment or of founding is giving this sense that they're because of God's work there is there is a firmness, there's a stability, even though you have the swirling waters that 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 surround. And of course, I think this is all very important for us in a season in which the, sw- the waters are are most definitely uh, swirling uh, around us in turbulence in motion. Uh, and with this sense of uh, of potential and real uh, disorder, chaos in our midst. And from the beginning, the message is that the earth, haaretz, haaretz, and everything that fills haaretz belongs to God. And then the parallel tevel, uh, the world, the 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 inhabited world. Uh, and all of all those who dwell within it belong to God. And uh, Rashi, the great Jewish medieval Jewish biblical commentator, um, in a typical rabbinic fashion, actually uh, distinguishes these two parallels, Haaretz and Tevail, and says that you know Haaretz refers to the land of Israel, and Tevael refers to the world as a whole. Well. Probably in the original, they're just parallel, they're synonyms. And yet, um, I think that this, in, this uh, interpretation of Rashi is worth uh, keeping in mind. Uh, the sense that from the beginning, the land of Israel, it has this special place in the mind and the purposes of God. And yet, all of the earth belongs to God. All of the world belongs to God. Some places have a very special kind of relationship to God, to the creator of all. And one of the things I think that's crucial to remember is the sense that at this moment in the creation of all things, all things belong to God. All things it says in Genesis one are created good, but uh, you notice in Genesis, all things are not created Kadosh, they're not created holy. It's the seventh day, the Shabbat, that is is holy, and after Genesis, after the mention of the holiness of Shabbat at the beginning of, of Genesis two, that word uh, for holy doesn't appear again in the Torah until we get to Exodus chapter three, when uh, when Moses encounters uh, Hashem uh, at uh, at the burning bush. Holiness represents this a sense of the presence of God filling the world and setting it apart for himself, sanctifying it. It is the ultimate destiny of creation. That the world would not simply belong to God with, with God as sovereign over it, but that it would be filled with the glory of God and with the knowledge of God. That's what Kadosh really represents. The world in the first two verses of Psalm 24, Belongs to God, but the waters are still there. They threaten to disrupt, uh, and uh, all is not yet fully perfected. It's not reached. It's 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 appointed destination in God's purpose, and that then brings us to the second part of the psalm. There's this shift suddenly in the psalm where we started off looking at the whole world. And then if you at least take Rashi's interpretation, we've also seen the world in relation to the land of Israel at its center. And now we're moving. We're moving now to the, the, the holy mountain within Haaretz. the the, the city of Jerusalem, Hamakom, the the place. And we get the the first question of the psalm. There are going to be two of these questions with the word who. And asking for the identity of someone. The first question, who shall ascend the hill of Adonai? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not Mm -hmm. swear deceitfully. That person will receive blessing from Adonai and vindication, righteous intervention from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So we've moved now to the mountain of of the lord and we've come now to his holy place as i said all of the earth belongs to god but all of the earth is not yet holy haaretz is actually holy and the holiest place within haaretz is this place hamakom the 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 temple mount and the question here now is, who shall, who shall be entitled to ascend to the mountain of the Lord? And as uh, we heard uh, yesterday, you always ascend to Jerusalem, even if you're coming from another place which is uh, technically of a higher altitude. Um, but you are, you're always ascending because this is the summit of, of created hol- holiness, the holiness within the created order. And what uh, what Rashi says is uh, again all just just as all of the earth belongs to God, it says all of the creatures, all of the the beings, all of the people who inhabit the world belong to God, but not all, not every person is actually fit to come into the holy place. And the question is, who is it? Who are those? who are fit to come into the holy place, to ascend the mountain of Adonai. And then the answer is given. The person who has clean hands and the pure heart, who doesn't swear deceitfully, and who, um, and there are some translation questions about this uh, part of the verse. I'll just give one particular translation. um, Who does not lift up his soul to what is false so what we have here are clean hands which represents action a pure heart which represents our thoughts our intentions the inner human being and not swearing deceitfully this the the mouth speech so we have here the three different aspects of human behavior of human conduct speech physical action and the inner action of our heart of our of our of our of our thoughts and all of them are are to be pure and purity here these this is the language again of 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 worship you know it is that which is ritually pure that can enter into a holy place. Similarly, it's those who are morally pure or clean, uh, who are fit to enter into the presence of Hashem, the presence of Adonai. Uh, This is language that's somewhat reminiscent of the Beatitudes. And uh, I, I think there may be actually an illusion here in the Beatitudes. You notice in the Beatitudes is blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. And seeing God, again, is language that comes from the Psalms that uh, speaks of being in the temple and, and, and worshiping God in the temple. And uh, this this Psalm itself speaks about seeking the face of the God of, of Jacob. And uh, I th- I think that uh, another way of understanding then what's going on in, in, in that beatitude is the sense of Yeshua uh, referring back and giving the sense of who is fit to come into the presence of God and worship God and behold God and dwell, and, and dwell in his holy place and receive then God's blessing, God's uh, vindicating action. Uh, I wanted to just also underline the, this notion of um, not swearing deceitfully or lifting up your soul to what is false. Uh, truth is is really crucial here. That and truth is not a um, an optional extra. God, of course, is truth. He is emet. Uh, Is the ultimate truth of of all of reality underlying undergirding all um, all earthly worldly truth. But what comes out of our mouths and, and uh, when it 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 uh, needs to correspond in some way to that reality and to that truth. And when we live in lies and in deception, um, whether it be self deception uh, or or even deliberate uh, deception of others uh, this is uh, this is not this is something that disqualifies one from entering into the presence of of God the Holy One Uh, in the phrase he this person doesn't lift up his soul to what is false uh, and uh, the what it implies is that this person lifts up the soul to God. It's a, it's an and in effect, it's a contrast between the worship of God and the worship of idols. Uh, and the uh, the the Hebrew verb here is nasah, uh and it. Uh, it, it has many different kind of meanings, and, and, and several of them used in this psalm. Uh, but here it, ha- it carries that sense of lifting something up, of carrying something and bringing it. And we are bringing our soul, lifting it up in a particular direction when we are worshiping. And then it says, this person who doesn't lift up the soul to what is false, but instead lifts up the soul to God, will, it says, receive blessing. The word there for receive is exactly the same root. It's, it's the same word, nasa. Uh, and so that the person doesn't lift them, their, their soul up to, uh, uh, to what is false, lifts their soul up to God and then is able to to receive again in the sense of like carry, you know, receive and then hold uh, the blessing that that comes from being from lifting up your soul to God. In a sense, it's almost like one one reality, one motion. The very act of worshiping God is itself blessing from God. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, it's 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 the greatest blessing. You know, to be in the presence of God. It's not like we simply come into God's presence. To ask for something else. You know. We come into the presence of God. And then we are doing what we were created to do. We, we, there is no greater blessing. That one could receive. This person it says will receive. Blessing from Hashem. And vindication. And the word is tzedakah. You know it is. The sense of righteousness, God's righteous action, God's, uh, God's gift of, of 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 judging on our behalf, defending us from 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 those who wrongly uh, oppose or persecute us or charge us with things that are uh, that are false. Uh, God intervenes on our behalf as a fair and righteous judge. And then again, we it, it said, such is the generation of those who seek, who seek Him, who seek the face, the God of Jacob. You know, it's seeking God's face is again that's worship in the temple, that's to be in uh, in the holy place with uh, with Hashem, which, as I said, it's not a, just a means to an end; uh, it, it is the end. It is the, the, the ultimate purpose of, of, of all things. And yet, uh, there is something that comes after this. Um, and that leads us into the third section of the song. So we, we have an act one, in which we're, we're looking at the whole world with, again, at least from Rashi's perspective, the, the land of Israel especially singled out. And then we've moved to the Temple Mount, the, the holy place, uh, and asked that first question uh, in Hebrew, me, uh, who, who is uh, is able to, to ascend the hill of the Lord? And now we move into the third section and what we're coming into now is the actual uh, inner courts of the temple and the temple building, it. The temple building proper, and we're going to get our 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 uh, our second question of who, and we also get our next reference of our next use of the same verb nasa, which earlier meant to as uh, they said to lift up your soul or to receive blessing, and it begins now. Lift up your heads, O gates. Same verb. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Melech hakavod, That the king of glory may come in. Now, most biblical scholars who study this psalm, you know, as historians, would say that uh, this is a psalm probably that was used in temple worship as part of a procession. In the temple, and that there was an actual a, 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 a physical movement, and that there were what it, it presumes is that there were these ceremonies in which the Ark of the Covenant was actually taken out of the the temple building, and there was a procession with the Ark, and that the the Ark, which of course is the throne of Hashem, is uh, the throne of the. I don't know it's about, oh, the Lord of hosts. And so uh, it is this in this procession with the Ark from, uh, from inside the, the temple courts, the, uh, the Levites or the Kohanim, uh would shout, you know, shout out, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory make. And then, or perhaps they are outside uh, calling to those on the inside to open the gates. And uh, now this, uh, this phrase, Melech HaKavod, which uh, is at least in English usually translated the king of glory. It's, you know, it, it's one of these interesting Hebrew phrases. I mean, if you looked at it, really, literally, it would be king uh, the glory or king of the glory. Melech king, the king of the glory. Uh, and uh, it, I think, this notion of the King of Glory, meaning the glorious King, that's probably fundamentally what it means. On the other hand, phrases like this are meant to to, uh, to point in a number of different directions at the same time. And I think by by putting the phrase Hakavod, the glory, it reminds us of the 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 pillar of fire the pillar of cloud the cloud of glory the the way the glory rests both on sinai the way the glory rests on uh the uh the tabernacle the way the glory rests uh on the Beit mikdash the temple um in yerushalayim and so this connectedness of the ark of the covenant and the the kavod this is the king who is ultimately manifested in the Kavod, The divine presence. And so uh, we've got this call in the procession, lift up your gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then from the other side, probably again, this is seen by scholars as a kind of antiphon, you know, with a a, a kind of back and forth with different... uh, A singer singing different parts, and so there's a response. Then uh, it's as if they're saying, "Okay, well, we've heard the call to lift up the gates, but who is who is the King of Glory? Who is the King of Glory?" And then the answer is given. You know, Adonai, strong and mighty, Adonai, mighty in battle, and then we simply have this repetition with slight differences, you know, where again, it goes back, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the melech the king of glory may come in. And then again, the question, well, who is the king of glory? And then, adonai tzva'ot, he is the king of glory. So in part two of the psalm, the question is, who, is, who are the human human beings who are fit to come in into the the presence of God to enter into the Holy, the Holy Hill. And in the final part of the song, the question is more, who, who is the, this glorious King who is, who himself is coming into the, the temple. Uh, and, and so uh, it's again, as if now the the human beings coming into the temple are being met by the Holy One, to whom the temple and all creation ultimately belongs. And there's a meeting now taking place within this temple. So now I would like to do a little bit of um, a little bit of application of this uh, for us uh, as uh, followers, disciples of Mashiach Yeshua, when we read a a psalm like this, what does this mean in relationship to to Yeshua? Well, this is where we come back to the uh, the superscription Le David, you know. This is a psalm associated with David and the Davidic monarchy. Uh, And uh, David can be a kind of also code name for the Messiah. You know, you can think about a a text like um, Ezekiel, Thirty-seven, where um, the prophet Ezekiel is, is speaking to the about the ultimate restoration of Israel, and speaks about the future king who will reign over both the United Northern and Southern Kingdom, and simply calls him David. You know, he, 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 you know it refers to that that Messianic king from the line of David as David. So, uh, in actually in Christian tradition, the Psalms have often been read. Uh, and this goes back to Augustine and was then has been reiterated by more recent teachers like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The Psalms have been treated as the the prayer book of Yeshua, of Jesus. You know, and, and there's something very appropriate to that because the, the Psalms are associated with David in a special way as the king. And to see them as applying in a, in a unique way to Yeshua is fitting. And then, of course, we also simply have the lived reality that almost certainly these were the prayers of Yeshua. Yeshua literally did pray them. And so for us as as uh, followers of the, of, the, of the Messiah Yeshua, we we always have to look at these Psalms and say, what did they mean to him and what do they tell us about him? Well, I think first of all, what we can say is ultimately Yeshua is the one who is worthy and ultimately in a sense on his own, the only one worthy to enter into the holy place. He is the one with clean hands, a pure heart who does not swear deceitfully and who does not lift up his soul to what is false, but lifts up his his soul fully, completely to the Holy One. Uh, Yeshua is the one, really, there's no one else who on their own really qualifies, who who, who meets the bill, you know, uh, but Yeshua does, <laughs> Yeshua does. As a result, Yeshua receives blessing from the God of his salvation and vindication, from 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 him, and I think that we can understand this rightly as a, an act, as a reference to the resurrection and the ascension. You know, because of Yeshua's righteousness and his faithfulness unto death, God demonstrates his favor upon this unique person and raises him from the dead and then ultimately brings Yeshua into the heavenly sanctuary into the heavenly temple so that uh, what we get here is an ascent a going up which is more than just going up to the temple in Jerusalem we've got Yeshua's entry as a result of his righteousness into the heavenly temple and then that these final verses of the psalm suddenly look a little bit different. It's no longer just this procession in the Jerusalem temple. It's suddenly the ascended Yeshua entering into the heavenly courts, and, uh, you know, and the cry, lift up your gates and open, uh, open up the doors for the King of Glory, the Melech HaKavod, Yeshua the Messiah, to enter in and then it's as if the angels from inside saying well who is the king of glory who is this person you're talking about and uh and we can we can think here of a scene that's presented in somewhat different form in uh in revelation uh chapter five you know where the question that's phrased there is who is worthy to open the scroll who is worthy to break its seals and nobody is found but then you have the lamb who was slain, who's also the Lion of Judah, who comes forth and is the one that's worthy. And then you have all of heaven and all of creation breaking loose in praise. Uh, and uh, it's the same kind of scene from just a slightly different angle here. Suddenly then what we discover is that the the answer to the who question of the of, of act two of the Psalm is the same, well, the answer, the, the same person who fulfills the, uh, the requirements of the who question in, in part three of the psalm. He is the king of glory. Because he has, he bears the very name yud heh Hashem. He is the one who uh, expresses and receives the divine name and yep. bears it worthily. So on one level we can read this psalm as uh, pointing to Yeshua, his holy life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into, uh, into the holy temple on high, of which the earthly Jerusalem temple was but a copy, a, uh, a model, uh, as we hear about in the, in the book of Hebrews. But then there is, a, I think, a second level of of application for us, because as the disciples of Yeshua, Yeshua's desire is that, as he says in the Beatitudes, that through his grace, through his life, that we also might become people with clean hands and pure hearts, who don't lift up our souls to what is false and who do not speak deceitfully. And of course, the way in which we express those realities are um, uh, nowhere close to what Yeshua does but in some level we are supposed to reflect that reality of who Yeshua is and as a result of his work in our life we in some way are put into a position where we also are able to enter into the holy place Mm -hmm. and and then in doing so, we are preparing for that part three, you know, um, the co- the 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 entry of the the King of Glory, and in some ways, you know, the first coming of uh, the King of Glory after the ascension of Yeshua is really with the gift of the Spirit, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, uh, the second level of reality is we, as the disciples of Yeshua, seeking to live in the presence of God, and uh, and as a result, God, the King of Glory, coming to us and coming to dwell among us in the human temple that God creates. And so we, you know, we start off with the heavenly temple here, and then we come to the reality of the human temple, which is Israel and which is the church. And uh, that ultimately the building, the structure the temple in Jerusalem always was pointing to both the heavenly temple and to the human reality of Israel as temple and the church as temple. And so uh, we seek to live our lives in such a way that we can We can say, lift up your gates and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. And in the initial coming of the King of Glory is the the life of the Spirit. It's the gift of the Spirit. It's the reality of uh, the, the Spirit of God, who is God, who is divine, entering into our midst in a new way. And not simply dwelling in the Holy of Holies in the temple, but bursting out. Into all of the world and into all the nations of the world, to penetrate every corner of the, of, of the created order. And here we have the the commissioning, really, uh, of the of the apostles and of God's purpose in His work of history of the last two thousand years, both through uh, Israel and the Church. But then that leads us to the. To act three part three because we are still preparing for something else we are preparing for the that final coming of yeshua so we come into the presence of god seeking to be those who are worthy to stand in the holy place we receive the gift of the spirit and we continually live that reality over and over again, seeking to grow more and more as people who have clean hands, pure hearts, and, and, uh, and souls that are not lifted up to what is false. Uh, and, and anew receiving the spirit and, and seeing the life of the spirit expressed more and more in, in the world around us. But ultimately, we are where that culminates in is our prayer for the coming, the final coming. Not just the coming of the gift of the Spirit now, but the return of the one through whom the Spirit was given. Uh, And here uh, we have uh, that that cry from the heart, Maranatha, the come come Lord Yeshua, which is uh, for us again, the uh, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, of the King of glory. And here we are crying out to all human beings, uh, to one another, to uh, to all of creation. Uh, get ready. Open the doors. You know this is similar to like again the Isaiah 40 text. You know level level the mountains uh, and raise up the plains. Make the way the path straight for the coming of of Adonai. Here the imagery is of opening the gate of opening the gates. Um, so, and it's not just a kind of ritual act of the Ark now coming in, but it is literally uh, the, the Holy One uh, who has taken on human form and thereby uh, is already uh, in resurrected, glorified form what we and, and the renewed creation is, is ultimately going to be. So uh, here we have the third, the third expression of the temple as well. The temple now as ultimately all of creation. This is the ultimate goal, and it brings us back to the opening verses of the psalm too. Mm. You know, the, the, to the Lord belong all the earth. But that's pointing to the day, as it says in the book of Revelation, where the sea, the sea is no more. Mm-hmm. That's an important verse at the end of Revelation. The sea is no more. That that potential for disorder which is built in at the beginning is no longer the case. That's, and we've come to the point where all is Shabbat, where uh, we're not dealing with the six days of creation. We're entering into uh, into that order where holiness is not just introduced into the world with Israel in one particular place, but now all is holy. And now the world is filled with the glory of God as the, as the, you know, the waters cover the sea. Uh, this is uh, uh, this movement, uh, this progression. And so we have these three different ways of understanding and relating this psalm to Yeshua with these three different expressions of, uh, of the temple. Of course, the, that third also applies literally to Jerusalem and the, and the Temple Mount because the coming of Yeshua to the Temple of Earth and of creation starts with his return actually to the Temple Mount. And so now uh, I just wanted more, much more briefly to point to another psalm that basically is talking about the same thing, and I think it's helpful when we see this psalm in the, in relation to Psalm 24 and in relation to everything that we've talked about so far. And this is Psalm 118, the final psalm of the Hallel. Uh, the uh, the psalms a psalm that is. Uh, sung at all of the holidays, it's especially, Jewish holidays, it's especially associated with Sukkot. And uh, here I'm not going to read through the whole psalm, I'm just going to uh, briefly refer to different segments of it. Uh, but, uh, of course, just before this is Psalm 117, the shortest of the, of the psalms which we sang uh, earlier in our worship time. Uh, and Psalm 117 is praise all you nations, extol him, all you peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward, uh, toward us. Um, the us there could very well be Israel, uh, but then by implication through Israel to all the nations as well. But this is uh, a, a universal call to all, all the nations of the earth, to the praise and the worship of God and then when we enter to Psalm 118 the opening verses give again the sense of a of a chorus uh, that is singing probably in the temple a uh, uh, Levitical chorus give thanks to Adonai for he is good his steadfast love endures forever let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever let those who fear Adonai say his steadfast love endures forever. Again, this sense of, of a call, it could have been again, a back and forth originally with one group of singers saying, let this group say, and then they read the response, um, you know, for his chesed, his, his faithful covenant love endures forever. But then in the Psalm, there's a sudden shift in, 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 in focus and rather than having this sense of a whole large group of people corporately worshiping God in the temple, it's just one particular individual who's speaking in the first person and is speaking about a deliverance that they've received. And uh, again, most uh, scholars would say this is probably was uh, a psalm sung by a king of Israel after a victory of some sort, thanking God for, for a victory in battle. Uh, and and so out of my and, and it was a battle which was very difficult where the there was a threat, a grave threat of of the king dying and where Israel was outnumbered um by the, the nations surrounding it. And and so we have out of my distress I called on I don't know, I don't know, answered me and set me free with the Lord without an on my side, I do not fear what can human beings do to me. Um, and, uh, and this summons to put trust in Hashem, uh, to to trust the Lord, uh, and not in human strength. And then it says, "All nations surrounded me. In the name of Hashem, I cut them out, and cut them off." Rashi and the Jewish tradition says this. All nations is a reference to the war of Gog and Magog at the end, when uh, in and in Zechariah, where it speaks about all nations coming against. Jerusalem. So this psalm was read uh, in Jewish tradition as a reference to the final battle uh, at the end, uh, and uh, and that's w- another reason why it was associated with Sukkot, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and uh, there's a connection in Jewish tradition uh, between the, the Feast of Sukkot and the War of Gog and Magog. And, uh, and so, you know, this next part of the psalm just speaks, uh, you have the king speaking about uh, this victory and how uh, in the midst of uh, a situation where it looked like uh, the, the king was going to lose, suddenly he wins and God is victorious. And then the king enters into procession, the, the victorious king, into the temple. And again, like in Psalm 24, we get what scholars think was probably a, uh, a kind of antiphonal back and forth um, in, in the temple between some one group of singers and, and then an, and another group, you know. Uh, and uh, this beginning in verse 19, where it says, open to me the gates of righteousness. Again, the same uh, imagery of the gates opening up. Uh, but now it's not opening to uh, the ark coming in. It's the opening up to the victorious king who's been saved by by Adonai so open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord and then maybe a response this is the gate of Adonai the righteous shall enter through it and then the king I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation and then the response the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner Uh, and uh, in Jewish tradition, this is understood as a reference to, to Israel as a whole. And, of course, in, in the New Testament, applied to uh, Yeshua. And I think both of these are, are true. Uh, and in modern history, Israel is the stone which the builders rejected. Um, but also Yeshua himself, obviously, um, in, in, in the midst of Israel, was the stone that Israel's builders rejected. This is the Lord's doing, this is marvelous in our day- eyes. This is the day which Adonai has made. Let us rejoice in the day. And then, Hoshiana. You know, Ana Adonai Hoshiana. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Baruch haba Adonai. Adonai. Blessed be the one who enters in the name of Adonai. We bless you from the house of Adonai. And so, uh, this welcoming of the victorious king uh, in into the temple, this is of course where these words uh, come from, and from this whole liturgy, which, as I said, originally was probably associated with this victorious king coming into the temple. Uh, but uh, what uh, when this is all applied, of course, to Yeshua uh, in in light of what we've talked about with Psalm 24, then Yeshua himself is that victorious king who is saved, not simply. From death, but through death, you know he, he actually endures death and then is uh, is delivered up. And in that death, he is himself dealing with the the forces, uh, the the, uh, the evil forces uh, of of creation uh, that are uh, those powers of the the waters and the sea, uh, and uh, and he is defeating them. And then he is received with those words Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai in the temple and so again ju- the same re- thing is true here as in Psalm 24 all of the, all of those different levels this Psalm can be read in relationship to Yeshua's death and his resurrection and ascension where he's welcomed by the angels in the heavenly courts with Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai you know he is the victorious king. So, in a sense, this this reality of Psalm 118 has already happened, you know, in in uh, in in the heaven in the heavenly temple. But what we're looking for is the day when it is then realized ultimately uh, in the earthly temple. And of course, all of this is in a sense implicit in the the New Testament text itself, you know, where Yeshua is a speak where. Yeshua is welcomed by his disciples coming into Jerusalem with Baruch Havah B'Shem Adonai, but then he uh you know what he really says is you will not see me again until all of Jerusalem all of Israel says Baruch Havah B'Shem Adonai and in welcoming Yeshua to Jerusalem we are welcoming Yeshua to all to the world um and look we are we're anticipating the day when the king of glory comes uh, and enters into his temple. and makes all of creation his temple. Uh, just a, um, maybe just a final comment. Part of what I think all of this points to is the importance of the ascension in relation to the coming of Yeshua. Like when we're, you know, in, in Hachana, we're focused on the on the return of Yeshua, the coming of Yeshua. Uh, but the reason Yeshua can come uh, as the resurrected glorified king who he is is because he ascended as in an embodied form he took his uh his resurrected glorified body he doesn't just kind of enter into heaven in as a spirit you know what he does is he actually in a sense... Uh, brings, it's very difficult to talk about these things, obviously, in, in any way that we can envision. <laughs> uh, but he's, uh, when he departs, in a sense, he's departing into the, the future resurrected, glorified world that will, in which he brings, to which he brings us. It's as much us being coming to him, you might say, as it is his coming to us. We think about it, his coming, you know. But in a reality what what it's about is his drawing all of creation into the reality that he already is mm-hmm. as the one who's been glorified uh, he took in his body his body was a microcosm of all creation you know he, he he has a jewish body and of course that jewish body represents all of humanity but humanity's body is also meant to be a kind of microcosm of all of the all everything created, you know, we come from the earth, um, and we we represent all living things, uh, and so Yeshua in his resurrected body is a microcosm of the whole that everything will be, you know, all of creation filled with the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's in a sense, it's it's as much about uh, the creation coming to Yeshua as it is Yeshua coming to us, uh, and. Uh, but this is what we're preparing for. And uh, I think that for, for all of you in Hachana, um, you know, as we're dealing with the realities on the ground of uh, the world in which we're now living, to keep this kind of big picture focus and to root our prayers in these Psalms, which are such a gift from Hashem to us, I think is, uh, is something that's, um, that can be a real blessing for us. So, I'm done. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. This, wow. So, so much to process. Thank you. I'm sure we have questions and I'm sure we have...